Hey, welcome to Fellowship College. My name is Chris Tuttle, and I am so incredibly honored to be here with you all tonight. I think as I was praying through how do I introduce myself, what do I say, you don't really need to know a lot about me other than I love Jesus, and I love the Word of God. It is one of my greatest joys of all of my life, my desire, my passion which is such a buzzword, especially for all of you seniors that are trying to figure out job interview stuff. If you say passion in a job interview, it's a buzzword, so just be careful there. But the word passion quite literally means, what are you willing to suffer for? That's why the passion of the Christ is his people. What drove him to the cross, what drove him from stepping down from on high, the throne above all of the universe into humankind is his passion, his people. And I can say that my passion in life is to share the word of God with other people because of how God has used it to form and shape and change my heart and my life for him. It is such an awesome honor to be with you tonight. And we're talking through one of my absolute favorite stories in all of scripture, a story that all of us should know and praise the Lord after tonight, we're gonna know it. But to start out, um, we're talking through Rahab. I should go just shoot this up here. Um, But I'm Chris Tuttle. I was with K-Life here in Fayetteville from 2015 to 2018. I did K-Life at the same time as Josh, who had just moved here uh, from California. And the first time I met Josh... I think this is super important to say. Who was here two weeks ago when he shared his story about tennis and he was trying to figure out where, what to do, being called into ministry and ended up here? Praise the Lord, we're so glad you did. But the first time I met Josh, he was wearing Birkenstocks, which is cool. But what did he have on underneath those Birkenstocks, my friends? What was that? Who have you ever met who wears Birkenstocks, open-toed Birkenstocks with socks that you trust? No one? All right, that's what I'm talking about. So I would just say that our relationship started out a little bit shaky, wasn't totally sure what to think about this guy, but very, very soon... He blew me away as we were doing ministry in two different cities. But over the course of three years of doing ministry, we would meet together on, we did a winter retreat every year. And I would love to sit with Josh and hear, what is God doing through your ministry? What is he doing in your heart? And so after his fourth year of K-Life, when he called me and said, hey, I'm coming up to Northwest Arkansas this weekend. Lauren and I are gonna be interviewing for a job at Fellowship College. Where should we look to buy a house? And I was floored. I remember sitting with them at Tacos for Life after we finished this marathon weekend of interviews, begging God along with him that the Lord would be so gracious to bring Josh and Lauren to Fayetteville because of the work that he does through them and in them. And getting to be here with you all tonight is such a gift because through Josh and Jacob and the other leadership here, what an awesome movement of God. Do not take for granted the work that God is doing with you all right now, every single week. It's awesome to see. It's awesome to be a part of. So this is me, my wife Shelby, and my daughter Edith. Shelby and I have been married for seven years, and our daughter Edith's in the middle. She was a honeybee for Halloween. We are desperately obsessed with her. She's awesome. She's like 18, 19 months old right now, is talking, running, is in such a fun stage. We love it. Shelby was on staff at Fellowship from 2015 to 2017 in Rogers as one of the girls' pastors. And so we just have a deep thankfulness for this church, 
for the way that this church has been used in Northwest Arkansas and each individual city to bring the word of God to everyday citizens, to bring the word of God into our communities. As we sat here praying for you all before the service, we watched that image of the city, this overview of the campus and the neighborhoods, knowing that God is doing a great work. And tonight, as I mentioned earlier, one of my great passions in life is to share the word of God because God has used the Bible throughout my 10 plus years of following Jesus to capture my heart. When I was a sophomore in high school, my family went on a ski trip, but I had had ankle surgery about three months prior, so I couldn't walk. And the general rule of thumb is if you can't walk, you probably shouldn't ski either. I'm sure some of you have done that. So I sat in the coffee shop and felt bad for myself for three days while my family skied. It had been planned for a while beforehand. And I read through the book of Galatians. And in those three days, what God did was start to ignite my heart and my mind to see that these people in this book were real. They lived real lives. And God actually wove an insane story of redemption through each arc and each character. And literally in those three days, I came to see my sin in a whole new way and the need of redemption, the need of Jesus. And ever since then, I spent my junior year of high school and my senior year of high school pouring through scripture, the Old Testament and the New, as God continually opened my mind and my eyes to his goodness time and time again. As I continue to go through scripture and trust it, I get to see every day when we're in this book, how God has used these words to form and shape his people for thousands of years. And so my prayer for us tonight is that we could see the story of Rahab in color, that God would begin to form, would continue, not just begin, but will continue to form a biblical imagination in each one of you because this is laid out as a story. So last week, Jacob did his whole great intro, did a ton of work that we don't have to do for the rest of the series. Thank you, Jacob, on story, the importance of story, telling story. He flashed Kendrick Lamar at one point. How he does that in a sermon, no one will know, but he did it and got away with it. Kudos, bro. But the whole point of that was that story captures our imagination. Stories capture our heart. And God has told this story through the Old Testament from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 of his love, his kindness, his forgiveness and redemption that draws us in. And tonight, tonight we get to visit the story of Rahab, who I think probably a lot of us would recognize her name. She's a, she's a pretty major character, as we'll see in this story, but really has not been given near the credit she is due for her courageousness and boldness and her place in the ark of redemption and in the story of Jesus over all. As we prepared for this, the last two weeks of getting to pray for you, some of you by name, this is what kept keep coming to my heart as I read the story of Rahab and prayed for you. This simple phrase, no matter what your past, Jesus invites you to participate in his work of redemption. No matter your past, no matter where you've been yesterday or 10 years before, no matter what you're thinking right now, what you've experienced or what you desire, Jesus is actually inviting you to be a part of what he's doing. He's not just being okay with it. He's not just putting up with it. He's saying, come on, come work with me. Come live with me. Come follow me as he does great work. As we jump into this story we need to do a little bit of groundwork first. So last week, Jacob ended the story of Aaron uh, by getting to kind of the point where Moses and Aaron are in the wilderness. And, and we flash forward just a little bit to a point where Moses is supposed to be leading God's people. He led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, through these unbelievable works, the power of God. 
And Moses is leading these people along with Aaron to the promised land, to take the land that is theirs. Because from Genesis 12 on, Josh spoke about the story of Sarah two weeks ago. And this promise came to Sarah and her husband Abraham that through their seed, all of the nations would be blessed, that their descendants would outnumber the sand on the shore or the stars in the sky. And what that meant was that God would use the nation of Israel, Israel, his chosen people, to show the rest of all of the nations of the world his goodness, his mercy, and his kindness. And so we get to this place where Moses and Aaron are leading the Israelites into the promised land, and there's an act of unfaithfulness, or really an act of a lack of faith from Moses. He sends 12 spies into the promised land, into Canaan. And those 10, 12 spies come back and say, there are giants in the land. There's no way we're getting in there. There's no way we're going to take it over. And Moses believes them. And one thing leads to another, really to where God says, Moses and the people of Israel, because of your lack of faith, you will wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years as this generation dies off. And then when this generation dies off, we will lead you in to the promised land with a new leader. So where we pick up the story this week, as Rahab is introduced into the story, is this transition of power. It's at the end of these 40 years. So it comes at the very end of Deuteronomy, which literally means second law. It's Moses in his final hours, days, maybe hours of his life, giving the law again to the people of Israel, who he led out of captivity with Yahweh's power. And he's giving them this whole, this whole spiel about follow Jesus, live up to the law, be faithful. And at the end of it, he passes away, and we meet the new leader of Israel, Joshua. Now, here's the reality. I'm sure that Joshua was maybe excited to get into this, this cool place of power, but could you imagine the pressure? Moses, the chosen man of God to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery, cannot do the job. He can't get the Israelites into the promised land. So Joshua pulls up and says, yeah, I guess I'm excited, but really? Me? Are you sure? Moses couldn't do it. What makes you think I can do it? I cannot imagine taking over a job like that. Think about any office in the land, any elected official from presidency down to like some district seat in Fayetteville. The reality is if you get into that seat, if you start taking over power of whatever that office is, it means the person in front of you didn't do a good enough job to get reelected. So there's some pressure. There's some like, okay, how am I actually supposed to do that? So as this story kicks off in Joshua 1, we see God speak directly to Joshua, Yahweh, the king of all kings, the God of all creation, speaks directly to Joshua who took over from Moses. And he tells him three times, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And the reason that God says it three times is because Joshua needs to be strong and courageous because he has some right to be scared. He's got some right to be fearful, like, hold up, God, Moses couldn't do it. How am I about to do this? So God, in short, pumps him up, gets him very excited to believe that he can do it. He can lead these people into the promised land. And then Joshua turns around and gets his people excited about it. And at the very end of Joshua 1, right before we meet our hero for the night, Rahab, Joshua speaks to his people and they echo back to him. We will follow you. We will do what God says. But Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then that brings us to Joshua 2, where we meet Rahab. A little bit before we jump into her story, Rahab is a citizen of 
Jericho, which is one of the cities that Israel is going to go take over in their conquest of Canaan as they get into the promised land to get this land promised to them so they can be a light to all the nations. Any city that's in their way that doesn't surrender to the will of God will be overthrown. And so Jericho is right in the middle of their flight, right in the middle of the way that the Israelites are moving. It's a walled city, a fortress of sorts. We don't know much about, about Jericho beforehand, but what we know is that they're not willing to bend, to bow down and surrender to God. And so Jericho is right in this place where for years and years and years, they have been hearing the stories about Yahweh. There's a podcast that I was introduced to just a couple of weeks ago called Holy Ghost Stories from a guy named Justin Gearhart. It's actually at Fellowship. I'd encourage you to go listen to this podcast because what he does is he takes these stories we know and he tells them in a more concrete narrative way. He starts filling in. It's an awesome way to see the Bible in color. And one of his ideas for the story of Rahab that I think was so powerful is imagining the people who would come into Jericho the refugees from the cities that were overthrown beforehand that would escape or the people that would come from those cities who had heard what God had done. And they come into Jericho and they're like, did you hear what's happening? Do you hear about these Israelites? Did you hear that God overthrew the people of Egypt, that Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea? So there are these stories coming through Jericho. They know who God is. They know who Yahweh is and they know who the people of Israel are. So we meet Rahab in Joshua 2 as Joshua sends two spies, Israelite spies, into Jericho to spy out the land. We're going to overthrow this land, so go in there, see what's up, and come back with a full report. And right away, we meet Rahab in, in, chat, in verse, uh, just in verse 2, where the, or in verse 1, sorry. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So the spies enter Jericho and meet Rahab, who we see as a prostitute. And I think it's important to note at the very beginning of meeting Rahab that she's mentioned multiple times throughout Joshua 2, Joshua 6, and three times in the New Testament. And never once is she spoken ill of or looked down upon because of her past profession. So I think when we hear prostitute, immediately we think sinner, disgraced, shameful, whatever it is. But she, no matter her past, is about to be used by God in an unbelievable way. And she is never spoken ill of in all of the scriptures that we see. There's also historical precedents from Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, that she most likely was also an innkeeper. So with her prostitution, her life, she also kept an inn that would accept travelers, which maybe gives a little bit more color to why these spies even ended up there. Because if she wasn't an innkeeper, why would they have been there? I think it's just a reality to ask and see that like these people are messy. These are real people with real things that they're dealing with, right? Let's just like leave it there. But whether she's a prostitute and an innkeeper or just a prostitute, the men end up there. And right away, the officials of Jericho hear there are Israelite slaves at Rahab's house. And so it says that the king of Jericho in verse 2 was told, look, some of the Israelites have come to spy out the land. So the king sent these officials to Rahab's house and said, what's up? Where'd they go? We got to kill these guys because have you heard about them? Do you know who they are? Do you realize that these spies of Israel, actually, like, they're part of that army, the God Yeshua, the God Yahweh that's overthrowing everyone around us. They're going to come freaking get us if we don't get those spies. And the first glimpse we have at Rahab is defiance. 
She literally stands up to the officials of Jericho and says they're not here. But we, we know from the text is that those men were at her home and they were hiding under a sheet on the roof. And she looks at these officials and says, they're not here, they left. If you go chase them out the gates, maybe you'll find them. And she sends them away. And this is where we pick up the story here in Joshua 2, verse 8. If you could throw that up on the screen. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. By the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return and go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear we will, will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and, your, and all of your family into your home, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in this house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This is the word of the Lord. So just to make sure that we're all, um, that we're all on the same page, what just happened is that Rahab quite literally lied to the officials of Jericho and said they've left, but they didn't. And then she immediately went up to the roof where she found them and she bargained incredibly hard for the life of her family. And said, I have shown kindness to you. Would you show kindness to us? And these men agree. And then she sends them away. She lowers them down by a scarlet cord from her window. And they say, tie this. And when we come back, we promise we will deliver you. She says, absolutely, and ties it immediately. Shelby and I are members of a church uh, on the square called Christ Community. And one of our pastors, Christian Williams, has a podcast. And just a couple weeks ago, she interviewed um, a, a biblical scholar out of Dallas named Kat Armstrong, who's an expert on Rahab. And Kat, Kat Armstrong makes this inc incredibly important uh, realization about Rahab that has captured my imagination as I've prepared for this. Then in all the book of Joshua, in the beginning of God, God's people taking over the promised land, we see this really powerful picture in Joshua 1 of God speaking into Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then he speaks the same to his people and they speak the same to him. 
And I think our logical conclusion in hearing this really strong push to be strong and courageous would be that we actually see Joshua be the first example of being strong and courageous in the book of Joshua. But God turns it on its head. And instead of Joshua or an Israelite or even these spies being the first picture of someone being strong and courageous in the book of Joshua, we actually see Rahab be the first picture of being strong and courageous. I think this is important for a lot of different reasons. The main one of being this. In Joshua, in Genesis 12, which I mentioned earlier, God made a promise that the descendants of Abraham and Sarah would outnumber the stars in the sky and that he would use the people of Israel to call all the nations to himself. And Rahab is the first significant non-Jewish or Gentile person that we see be used by God to be an impactful part of his kingdom moving forward. And so right away, Right away at the very start of God using Israel to take over the promised land, he pulls in a non-Jewish Gentile woman who is a prostitute to be our first picture of being strong and courageous. Where does that fit into logic? But the beauty of that is right away. I don't know how many people in this room are Jewish. I'm guessing a very small number of us, but I don't want to count that out. All of us immediately can look at Rahab and say, yes, Lord, thank you for pulling her in. Because if God hadn't used Rahab in the way he had, when would the Gentiles have started being grafted in? Surely it would have been eventually, but what a gift for it to be someone so out of the ordinary with such a sketchy past. Someone who had no reason being in leadership, no reason to be in this place of saving these men and being a part of the people of Israel, seeing someone who is strong and courageous, but we get her. Don't ask why. What an awesome, awesome picture, because surely Rahab was scared, right? She had heard these stories. If she runs, if she runs this in, she was probably the one who took in the refugees, she was the, probably the ones who sat with the refugees of these other cities, listening to these insane stories about the people of God, the Israelites, who were ravaging and taking over. She was the one who was hearing these stories about this God. Who is it? And she takes in these spies, and she knows that she has one shot to save her family. One chance to negotiate for her goodness, her livelihood, and the rest of her family. She was incredibly scared, surely. But just because we're scared doesn't mean we can't be strong and courageous. The second thing that I want to point out about the story of Rahab is that Rahab desired to be a part of the work that God was doing. And I think to say that, the first thing to point out here is that surely she bargained with the people, these men, because of her family. She was the breadwinner of her family. She wasn't married at this point. She took care of her brothers and sisters, her father and mother. She had all the pressure to be financially the one who was in charge, the one who was moving forward and taking care of her family. So she had great precedence, great reason to bargain with them for her life. But the other thing that I think we get through this text and then onward in Joshua 6 that we'll see in just a minute and then even into the New Testament is that Rahab desired, I believe, to be a part of the work she was doing. She heard of the kingdom of God. She heard of this God who could do crazy, awesome things. She had heard of this God who was good, who was personal, who led his people by a pillar of fire at night, who spoke face to face with the people who led this, this army, who led these people, and she wanted to be a part of it. 
And what in your life have you ever wanted to be a part of so bad that you were really, really willing to risk? Maybe it's right now. Maybe there's a ministry or a job opportunity or something going on around you that you see God doing something awesome and you want to be a part of it. But you know to be a part of it, you might have to risk a little bit or a lot. And in this case for Rahab, she wants to be a part of what God is doing, but she knows she's risking her life and her family's life because she has no idea if these men are going to say yes to this negotiation. When I was thinking about this question, what is it in your life that you might have to be risking for to be a part of what God is doing? I thought about my college decision. How many freshmen in the room? Can I get a hand of freshmen? Awesome. So you guys were just here last year as you're making decisions. Everyone else in the room can remember that, whether you're four years out or 12 or whatever. It doesn't matter how many I'm out. But you can remember this decision of college. Maybe you're exactly where you want to be. Praise God you're here. Fayetteville is the greatest city on earth, right? This is the greatest school ever. We're so thankful. Thank you, Devaney. I appreciate the affirmation. But as you're going through that decision process, there's a ton of things at play, right? Where do you want to go? What do you want to study? Where is your family gone? Where do you have funding? Where is your boyfriend, girlfriend going? Like, et cetera. It just keeps on going. So for me, at the very beginning of my senior year, I didn't apply to very many schools, but I got a full rider, offered a full scholarship at Arkansas Tech University in Russellville. It's a great school. Both my sister and my two older sisters went there. I was excited about being a part of the writing program. I met with some professors. It was going to be a great thing. I got a full ride and a stipend. So I had like the financial situation was totally paid for going into school. And it was going to be great. And then the high school that I went to in Little Rock, Joe T. Robinson, go Senators. Anyway, no, doesn't matter. Oh, thank you. Praise the Lord. Uh, we were in the semifinals of football. And we played Shiloh Christian, bum, bum, bum. And I made the trip up. We got absolutely walloped. But after this game where we get destroyed, I decided to spend the night on campus with my buddy, Sean. So my, bro- my twin brother, Cody, and I spent the night in the eighth floor of Humphreys with our friend, Sean, and his roommate, Charlie. And we get on campus. And I remember sitting around like on his futon or whatever is in a, in a dorm room hearing story after story of what God was doing in Fayetteville. And it was awesome. And I remember hearing these stories and just being like, I want to be a part of this. People are coming to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit is doing unbelievable work. There's great unity among the student ministries, the college ministries here, the churches. I wanted to be a part of it. And the next morning, we go to sleep. The next morning, I get up. We walk out. We're going to Chick-fil-A, of course. God bless that, that biscuit, right? And I walk out of Humphreys, and in front of me is Kimple. Left to me is Bruff, God bless it. And on the right is Sam Walton, College of Business, and all that. And I had a moment, a very specific moment, where I felt like, I'm going to come here. And I'm going to be a part of what God is doing at this school, in this city, because I don't want to miss out. So I go home, uh, I tell my mom and dad, who love Jesus, Hey, I think I need to go to Fayetteville. And they're like, that's great, son. But you do know you have like a full ride at this other school. And we don't exactly have money to pay for you. This college, it's kind of late. Like maybe you should apply. So I go through the whole application process. Push comes to stuff. Three months later, I'm accepted to the U of A. But I didn't get a high enough ACT score. It was like one point to, to qualify for this specific scholarship that I couldn't get. And it was too late to apply for these other scholarships. They had already been, got, they had already been taken. And so I was awarded the scholarship of $1,000 one time to come to the University of Arkansas. 
And the scholarship I had at Arkansas Tech was worth tens of thousands of dollars. And I had to make the decision. Was risking financially worth being a part of what God was doing? Now, praise the Lord, I said yes. Because I said yes and I came. And those first couple of years of college, God did some unbelievable things, some incredibly exciting things. I was a part of a worship night in our home where literally hundreds of students would come through and we'd share the gospel. I saw people, person after person, give their lives to Jesus. And then even past that, I met my wife. We did ministry here. We keep doing ministry here. We've been a part of the local church for over a decade now. I've had my daughter here. This is her home. And if I hadn't said yes to Jesus and been worth the risk, I would have missed out on what God did during college. I would have missed out possibly on my wife and my child and the life we've built here and the everyday reality of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. Is that in the mundane and ordinary of your lives, God shows his redemption because we get to live, breathe, and move in the Holy Spirit's presence every single day. Whether you are in college algebra or you are in merge or you're getting ready to go to the Super Bowl, like watch the Super Bowl, whatever it may be, you are experiencing the abundant life of Christ if you have the Holy Spirit of God. And let me tell you this, friends, as you face this situation, what would it want to be? What would it be for you to actually risk? What do you want to be a part of what God is doing, but you know there's risk there? If you know Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, the Bible promises a lot with that. But one of the things in Isaiah, 30. The promise of God is that there will be a teacher behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whether it's to the left or to the right. And so I believe that you have the Holy Spirit to be able to take that risk, to be strong and courageous like Rahab and trusting God. Do not miss out on what he may have for you. To pick back up the story of our sister Rahab, she sees, uh, she sees the spies go. They actually, tell J- they actually tell Joshua at the very end of that chapter, they repeat some words back to her that Rahab said to them. Rahab said, our hearts are melting in fear. Uh, these spies go up to Joshua. They're so pumped up. Like she made them strong and courageous as well. These spies go up to Joshua and they're like, oh, we got them. We got them. They're going to be ours. Their hearts are melting in fear because of us. Like line for line, you know, from Rahab. They should have probably given her credit. And over the next course of chapters, we have, we have three chapters between Joshua, Joshua 2 and Joshua 6, where we see God continue to move through the people of Israel, continually uh, making a way for them. We see another huge Jordan crossing. So just like the Red Sea crossed and enveloped the Egyptian army, we see the Jordan open up for the people of Israel to go through. And city after city begins to quake in fear. What is God doing with these people who are coming? And they get to Jericho in Joshua 6. And God tells them, march around Jericho one time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times. Who knows this song? Joshua fought the battle of? Dope. Thanks for the courage there. I love it. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So they walk around the city once every day for six days. And you got to imagine the people in Jericho are like, what is going on with this army? I thought God had it. I thought Yahweh was crazy powerful. And they're like scratching their head, like what's about to happen? So the seventh day, they walk around it seven times. And on the seventh rotation, the walls start to tremble. The walls start to shake. And during this whole thing, let's remember our sister Rahab is in her home with her brother and sister, her mother and father. 
And they are trusting that the spies are going to come rescue them. And they don't know how Yahweh is going to overthrow this, but he's going to. And so they're saying, like, we're going to trust God. We're going to wait for God here. And as the walls start to crumble, could you imagine what it was like for them? The walls fall. The people of Israel enter and start slaughtering and taking whatever else it is to conquest, right? And Rahab and her family are waiting in their home. And if you remember, her home was in the wall. And if the walls shook, that means God protected their part of the wall. And this is where we pick back up in Joshua 6. If you could help me on the slides, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Joshua said to the men in 622, Joshua said to the men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spine went out and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they had put silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Verse 25, don't miss this. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. The third thing I think we need to pull out of this story and feel from Rahab is that she was used by God because of her faith, regardless of her past. No matter who she was before, what she did in bringing those spies in, giving them life and sending them back out was a picture of faith. She trusted as the walls fell down around her. She trusted that these men were servants of Yahweh. And I trust Yahweh's character enough to rescue me no matter what is going on around me. And the reason this is so incredibly significant is that in Matthew 1, we get the genealogy of Jesus. 28 different lines of generations to the Savior, the one who we believe is God incarnate, who came and saved and rescued humanity. Rahab is one of three Gentiles mentioned in that genealogy. And tradition says that she is the great, great grandmother of David, the second king of Israel. That same David that was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because he was a human being. And that same David in 2 Samuel 7 received a promise from the prophet that the line from his line would come the Savior, the King of all kings, who would reign, who would redeem, who would restore humanity from sin. Rahab, the woman who trusted God enough, the non-Jewish Gentile, who was our first picture for the people of God then and now of someone who was strong and courageous trusted God enough that she hid the spies and she waited. She didn't flee. She didn't run. She didn't try to take it into her own hands. She trusted and had faith. And because of that, she lived every day for the rest of her life in the people of God, along with what God is doing. There were a lot of mundane and ordinary days for her, as you can imagine. But she was married and she started a family and she started brand new. She walked right out of her past. And because of that, she was mentioned and a part of the redemptive arc of all humankind and creation because of her faith. What an unbelievable picture of this unsung hero who we better sing about for days because she brings glory 
to God. Throughout the last few weeks, um, as I've been praying for you all, some of you, I said earlier by name, the theme that keeps hitting me in this story is of the crimson cord. So the crimson cord, as a reminder, is what Rahab gives to these men to lower them down, to lower them down through the wall. And that same crimson cord is what they tell her to tie in the window as a sign that death will not be delivered to Rahab's home. So last week, as a reminder, Jacob talked about Aaron and the Passover. He briefly mentioned the Passover, which is actually a point, a plague uh, during the conquest of Egypt, where death visited the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And the Israelites, to keep their firstborn safe, marked their door with the blood of the lamb. And when death came to that door, it crossed over because they were marked with the blood of the lamb. And I believe the crimson cord is a direct picture to that. In the same way that the Israelites were delivered from death, rescued from death, Rahab was rescued from certain death as Jericho fell. But in that same way, what we know of Rahab's story to be true is that she wasn't just rescued from death. She was redeemed into a life of following God and being a part of the unbelievable things he was doing. And she was mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew 1. And then she was one of few mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a picture for the early church. She captured the imagination of the New Testament writers so much that they put her in as an example of faith. What is faith? Rahab. And then in James 2, she's mentioned again, not just of her faith, but the work she does because of how much she trusts God. She was not just rescued from death. She was redeemed into a life of following God with the people of God. And in the same way, my brothers and sisters, we believe that that is true of the blood of Jesus. If Jesus is truly who we believe him to be, that he would be God and the only way to salvation, what that quite literally means is that Jesus was upon the throne of all of creation. He formed all of humankind, all of creation, all of the universe and the galaxies in his hands. We believe that from Colossians 1. In him and through him, all things were made. That same God loved humanity and creation so much that the sin, the evil that divided us from our creator, he stepped down into humankind, became a human being, lived in perfect submission and obedience to the God, to his God, who he is one with, his father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in his life, he came to death on a cross. And through his blood that was poured out, he defeated sin. The wages of sin is death, says Romans. But in Leviticus 11, the life blood is fat. The life is found in blood. So Jesus's blood pours life over sin and death and destroys it and opens a way for us to know him when he rises three days later from the grave, crushing, destroying and humiliating evil and sin. And Jesus's rescue for us is not just from the past, not just from our sin, but he redeems us into following him. And you guys have an unbelievable opportunity being a part of this community to walk in the practices and the rhythms that the church has walked in for thousands of years as we have been a part of God's unbelievable redemption. So I'll leave you with this and as we pray over you, we continue to worship God through song. No matter your past, Jesus invites you to participate with him in his work of redemption. He's not just cool with you coming. He just, just, just doesn't put up with you. 
but he is inviting you. He says, come with me. Come along and experience abundant and eternal life right now in the Holy Spirit as you walk with your brothers and sisters around you in the spiritual rhythms and practices of being a part of what God is doing. Jesus, may you be praised and honored. Thank you for the story of our sister Rahab. Thank you for her courage and her strength and that we get to build off of that as she was a part of your lineage. God, thank you for redeeming. Thank you for rescuing. Thank you for redeeming. And I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight that you would speak to them clearly. You love them and you are inviting them to worship you. May we worship you now in spirit and in truth.